It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary, as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me, as always, is Jonathan, my co-host, for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Jonathan, what's our topic for today? Our question is, how should Christians respond to racism, part one? And our theme text is found in James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Okay, so how uh, should Christians respond to racism? Joining us as well today is Julie. Hi, Rick and Jonathan. You know, this is a difficult subject, but we knew it was important to address. So here we go. Coming up in today's podcast, racial tension has exploded everywhere. People are sad, angry, bewildered, and scared. Are you a person of color who has felt minimized and put down? If you are, please stay with us. We're going to together listen to the experiences of two black women in that same circumstance. Now, are you a white individual who's frustrated, angry, and bewildered? Well, if you are, please stay with us as well, because today we will share what we believe are powerful insights and life-changing scriptural advice that no God-fearing person, regardless of race, should be without. So, again, how should Christians respond to racism? This is a two-part series. Tonight is part one. So let's get this thing started. George Floyd is dead. Needlessly, his life ended as a result of the uncalled-for brutality of a police officer. This killing has resonated throughout the United States as well as the world. It has put some of society's hardest issues in front of our faces. Peaceful protests, decrying racism, and injustice have occurred all over the world. Angry riots, looting, and yes, even more killing have also erupted. The issues are ugly, serious, and relevant. What are we struggling with? Is it racism? Is it bigotry? Is it prejudice? Is it ignorance? As Christians, we need to be open and honest when it comes to truth. So, Rick, what is the truth about society's struggles? What is the truth that we as Christians should be standing for? Important questions. Our objective, folks, today, let's be very clear. Our objective today is not to solve the ills of our world regarding the mounting racial and social issues we face, for that's beyond our capabilities. And the purpose is to really look introspectively for our own blind spots and identify where our tendencies are and to think and act more Christ-like moving forward. And with this program, we aren't looking to change the world. We're looking to change ourselves. So our objective today is to begin a journey up a road that we pray will lead to godly wisdom. So to get to this godly wisdom, we need to pass through the territories of knowledge first and then understanding. 
An overriding beginning theme for today will be words matter. Words matter. And this is very important. Uh, Let me give you an example. I know a woman who ran a stop sign or a stoplight and killed somebody in a traffic accident. It was not on purpose, but she killed a man. He was a father of two small children, and she has been devastated in her life ever since. You can say she killed somebody, and you can call her a murderer. You're wrong. Words matter. Murder is divided into three degrees. There's first degree, second degree, and third degree murder, and then there's something called involuntary manslaughter. So to call somebody who involuntarily, because of carelessness, killed somebody a murderer is to cheat them out of the the respect that they deserve. Words matter. You'll see how that fits as we move forward. So Jonathan, as we get started, uh, let's go to Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. This is kind of the theme of this wisdom and understanding and knowledge approach. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and then he talks about God being a shield to those who have integrity. So that first territory we need to pass through is the territory of knowledge. To the best of our ability, we need to have the facts correct. And here's the first and most formidable fact that if we get this right, the rest of them have a chance of falling in place. There is no partiality with God. And Romans 2, 10 to 11 tells us this. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. The lesson for us is, if God's not partial, we shouldn't be partial. And the definition for racism uh, is a tricky definition, (laughs) a lot of big words, so I have to be very careful with this. Belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. Okay, we're going to go back to that definition in, in, in a little bit, but just wanted to put it on the table. That's what racism actually is. Now, we set up long before today's podcast an interview with three individuals by the names of Takia, Coretta, and Sebastian. We've broken their interview up. We've, we've edited it down for time purposes, and we want to bring their experiences to you. So first, let's introduce you to the three. So I am here with uh, Coretta, Takia, and Sebastian, and we are going to take a look, a very close look, a very pointed look at the racial issues that we face from the perspective of different people. Now, Coretta, give us generally kind of who you are and your general age bracket, and then Takia will ask you for the same thing, and then Sebastian will ask you as well. And I will add before we start that Coretta and Takia are both African-American and Sebastian is white. Coretta, go ahead. I will tell my age. I'm 47 years old, (laughs) was born and raised in America, and being a black person in America, I have, you know, faced many challenges simply from being a black person in America. But I believe that the Lord has a plan and I'm in that plan. 
and not just me, but everyone is in that plan. Generally, I don't focus on negative things, period. Takia, what about you? Um, I'm Takia, and I am 23 years old. Coretta raised me, so we have (laughs) similar views in the fact that, you know, we don't focus on negativity. And I personally like to give everyone the benefit of the doubt on things they say and tones of voice even. I don't like to assume the worst in people. So I haven't focused on racial issues a lot in my life. And I think a lot of that came from my mom. Okay, good. And Sebastian, what about you? Well, I'm Sebastian, and uh, I'm 23 years old, and I'm a white man. So uh, I've had a pretty relatively easy life with not too much uh, conflict arising as a result of my my skin color. And, you know, I'm also a Christian, and I believe that that God has a plan for all. But that being said, the present circumstances and the circumstances leading up to the racial tensions and the racism that exists in society um, has caused me to evaluate my own position in society and how I view the world and how I view our country. So... Coretta, Takia, and Sebastian will be with us throughout the podcast. We'll be dropping in on them for understanding, for with, with lots of questions and, and clarity going on. So here's our premise, folks. The premise is very simple. It's, it's got three essential parts. First, racism exists, and it is deeply serious. Second, all people are flawed. Third, the vast majority of people are not racist. There are four words we'll focus on today. Ignorance, prejudice, bigotry, and racism. These are going to be four very important words, and we'll explain how it all fits together in a moment. Let's go back to uh, uh, Coretta, Takia, and Sebastian and get some of their personal experiences. What has been your specific experience personally with racial issues? I have experienced uh, racism, you know, a broad range. And I'll just use two examples, something very subtle, which is walking into a store and being followed just because I'm black. I have no intentions, never have had any intentions of taking things that don't belong to me. And then if I happen to not purchase anything, then that makes the the sense, you know, even greater, the, the, the sense of, a, I guess, guilt even greater. And then, of course, I've, the on the other end of that spectrum, have been called a racial, a racial slur. And that's very hurtful. Yeah, I can only imagine with that. All right, thank you. That's a, a good start. Takia, go ahead. Similar to my mom, I've been um, followed around in the store, and we were actually talking about the sense of, we couldn't find a word for it. Guilt was the best thing that we came up for, um, came up with, but being followed around in the store or um, window shopping, it feels like we shouldn't be doing that because why are you in the store if you don't plan on buying anything? But I think that most people go to the store and they just look around and walk out without any second thought. I think that most people aren't blatantly racist anymore. However, microaggressions are things that people are more comfortable with. And I think the reason is that it can be excused as something else. The reason I'm saying this statement is not because you're Black, but it's for another reason. A few examples that I've heard are, you don't sound Black. You don't act Black. Wow, you are so articulate, in parentheses, for a Black person. And 
it seems like, oh, that's a compliment. I just said that you're articulate. But it's like, why does it have to be associated with the white majority to be intelligent or to speak intelligently? But I've heard that one my pretty much my entire life. Tiki, let me just ask you like a, a sub question on that because mm-hmm. you know I've I've heard you you, you speak and uh, and I and I've talked to you many times and you are articulate. Now, when I say that to you, does it even give you a twinge of that for a black person thing coming from somebody that you know, or is that like okay, I get that for exactly what it is? I'm just just a curiosity thing here. With you, since I know you, mm-hmm. um, I know that you don't have any ill intentions. So I wouldn't probably say anything about it to you because it would just probably hurt you on the other hand. Like, wow, I was trying to give her a compliment and she attacked me for it. But I think it that's because in my mind, it's when you say a comment like that, why wouldn't you expect me to be articulate? You don't normally express compliments for things that you wouldn't expect or that you would expect. No, that's good. And I'm, and I'm glad I'm glad we're, we're talking about this. I want to just take that one small step further just from my own perspective, because when I would say that to you, it's because of the average 23 year old. You have a really strong ability to express yourself more so than the average. And to me, that's like, wow, you're really articulate because you can do that. So in my brain, I'm saying in comparison to those who have had the level of life experience you've had, this is something that I think is really cool. And it's just interesting to me that, okay, that thought still comes up. And it, again, it's very revealing. Glad you, you said that. Thanks. Okay, Sebastian. Yeah, like you said, I, I, I'm white. So racial profiling against me, I feel like hasn't been a huge part of my life or at all. But I have had an interesting perspective in the last few years because I actually started fishing. And in my experiences fishing, I'll be on the water and there will be predominantly more white people fishing next to me down the, down the pier and they'll engage in conversation. And I've heard some staggeringly racist things. People feel comfortable sharing with me because I'm also a white man and I'm fishing. And um, that you put those two together, this guy's probably on my side of this issue. And so I feel like I've had this in where I hear this horrible language against those of, uh, you know, any, any sort of minority. Okay, so while you were fishing, you caught a lot of things you didn't want to catch. That's really... right. So that, Rick, that, wow, you are so articulate part of this interview caught me by surprise because I had no idea that that could be perceived in a negative way. So I'm really glad that she brought this up. And, you know, I, I know her and it's likely I might have said something to her like that. But what I would have meant is, you know, compared to all the other 20 somethings out there, you handle yourself more maturely than others. And she really does. So as a comparison with her age group, nothing to do with color. But this might make me more nervous to approach someone of color because I don't want to offend anyone and I don't want them to take what I say in the wrong way. You know, and, and I think the, the, a good answer to that is if you do want to give a compliment knowing what you know now, explain it. Explain the context of the compliment so that, you know, in relation to this, this and this, here's what I think of your actions or words or whatever it is. I think that's helpful. But see, already we're learning about how other people think, how other people see life. And this is really important. And in order to deal with racism and racial issues and racial tension, if you don't know how those on another side of an issue think or feel, you don't know how to deal with the issue, period. And I have to say, I have done my fair share of window shopping, never (laughs) have given it a second thought. 
Right. So I'm very glad that they brought that up. Never knew that that was a problem. And there's a lot of things that some of us never knew were problems, and we'll see more of that as we go. So here's what we're doing today. We're going to define and explain how we see those four words, ignorance, prejudice, bigotry, and racism, represent a downward journey into the darkness of human disrespect. So what we need to do here, stop, look, and consider where am I related to these four words. So Jonathan, the first word is ignorance. What does it mean? Lack of knowledge, education, or awareness. And you know, after deeply looking into this, we tried to sum up what these first four words bring us to. So ignorance is a universal human condition. We all lack knowledge, education, and awareness in many areas of life. And the bad news is we generally don't know what we don't know. (laughs) And therefore, it's very easy to remain ignorant. And the good news regarding ignorance is it's a very treatable condition. So that's ignorance. We're just going to give a a sense of these things and we'll develop them as we go. Next word, Jonathan, prejudice. What does it mean? A preconceived judgment or opinion. An adverse opinion or leaning formed without just grounds or before sufficient knowledge. So prejudice is something that I think we, um, it really can be learned at a young age, and that's something that parents need to consider. Um, But it's also easily adopted condition when we allow ignorance to go unchecked. Prejudice, we say, litters the mind with the ignorance-based broadly brush strokes of generalized thinking. For example, we might carelessly demean an individual or a class of people in our conversations. And prejudice, it's kind of like it casts a shadow over the heart. It can be magnified by rumors, bad impressions, and groupthink. Prejudice, here's the problem. Prejudice develops a deliberate disdain for that which we have unjustly perceived as disturbing. So you're developing this disdain for things. Going further, next word is bigotry. Jonathan, what does it mean? Obstinate or intolerant devotion to one's own opinions and prejudices. And bigotry can be learned from a young age as well. It's it's a more severe form of prejudice and develops when prejudice is supplemented by adverse personal experiences, your observations, or your conclusions. Bigotry could be described as taking action with your prejudice, and it thrives on generalized hearsay, and it further develops the disdain of prejudice, and it grows into resentment or even anger, and we say it deepens the shadows that cover the heart. And to make it worse, bigotry draws definitive and defensive lines around our decisions and around our associations. It puts up fences. This is not good. And finally, the, the, the worst of these is racism. And Jonathan, I know you mentioned the definition once, but let's do that again. A belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. And prejudice is also a part of that definition. And racism can also be learned at a young age, and its development is the result of a focus and passion of one's own bigotry. So racism cements a hard line. It's a dramatic and unjust stance as it relates to others. The heart is now deadened and it's shut off from light and warmth. Racism draws demonstrative and destructive lines that pointedly diminish the value of those 
who are not like us. So as we go through this whole situation, we're looking at these four words as a basis for understanding where we are. And, you know, these words tend to be tossed around, especially on the internet, interchangeably. So, you know, we've kind of got this grid here, starting with the worst racism, bigotry, prejudice, and ignorance. We want to examine where we are on this grid as it, as it regards race and culture. And it applies no matter what color, what race you are, what country you're in. And we might be in more than one category at any particular time. So our personal focus should be to recognize and really take a look as you're listening to this program recognize where we are. And our goal is to maybe drop down a level and ultimately get off the grid entirely. And that's going to take some honest and humble reflection. Looking in our own heart, where do I fall now? That's the question as this podcast develops. So it sounds like our conversation today is going to be all about me. By first knowing myself, I can learn to know others. Okay, we have a foundation on which to build knowledge. What do we need to build successfully? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact, single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? Knowing our personal reality regarding our perception of racial issues is a powerful beginning. No one has ever truly grown or changed their lives for the better without understanding how they see things to begin with. You can't follow directions unless you know your present location on the map. This segment's theme is ignorance. So that's what we're going to focus on. And, and one of the things I think is important, we've already established the fact that everybody is ignorant everybody. I am ignorant about a lot of things. As a matter of fact, I want to share some of my ignorance with you right here and right now. I am ignorant. Rick is ignorant regarding food preparation. Here's the thing. I can design and build a, an entire kitchen from the ground up, but once it's built, I have no idea what to do with it. Okay. So, and, and the point is there's lots of things in life we're ignorant about. And the key is the things that we need to know, we should find out about. Other things we can rely on others. Racial issues, we need to know. That's one of those things we need to know. So, Jonathan, what's our first territory that we're going to be fo focusing on? Well, we're continuing with knowledge. To the best of our ability, we need to have the facts correct. So here's a fact. Remember, God is impartial. But the fact is God's impartiality instructs us to see others impartially. And Romans 10, 12 to 13 is really a pivotal text. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, so our beginning point today on this road to knowledge is to focus on seeing specific issues through somebody else's eyes. And now we go back to Takia, Coretta, and Sebastian, and we're talking about, in this piece, the George Floyd question. Now, let's talk about the, the George Floyd killing, because, look, this was one of the, the most horrific things you can imagine. We don't want to get into the details of that. We all agree that there is no 
explainable reason, no justifiable reason under the sun for that man to not be alive today. Did the killing of George Floyd change your personal racial views on things, on issues? Go ahead, Sebastian. I saw the video um, and it was shocking. And, you know, I'd seen uh, news stories over the years, past few years, especially of all this unjust killing. And it always felt like, how did, how can this happen constantly? But, you know, I don't really have to deal with it on a daily basis. So it gets pushed to the back of my mind. So uh, seeing that really started the cogs in my brain. And I I was moved to speak up and, and say some things. And, and in previous years, I wouldn't have. I would have just said, you know, leave it in the Lord's hands. He has it covered. This is very sad, but ultimately he has a plan for all mankind and they will find, you know, peace in the kingdom. But it made me feel that there's this disparity between the races that can even affect those who are, are in my church. And and I, I don't want to turn a blind eye to those who have such unique and powerful experiences just based on their skin color. So it really helped helped me raise my voice in concern and and the need for dialogue on this topic. <laughs> Tikia, go ahead. I think kind of like Sebastian was saying, I never felt the need to speak up before. And it a lot of it, I think, has to do with being Christian and having that faith and comfort in God's promises and knowing that, you know, there is a kingdom to come and these things won't be happening forever. However, it kind of made me so uncomfortable that I had to do something and I had to speak up and I had to pray for courage to speak up and say the right things in the right way because I wanted people who don't really understand, people who don't know, to think about it in a different way than they have before. And I think with George Floyd, the thing that's that stood out for me is that the video was out there for almost 10 minutes. You know, everyone can watch, everyone sees this, and people still see different things or add on to the story. For me, there was no question about it. It was wrong. And I was just wondering, how can an excuse be made up for this? And I realized that it this one incident didn't just happen without a buildup towards it. And the buildup towards it is the racism, the discrimination, the microaggressions. If you take a step back and address how you are allowing racism or how you could possibly be allowing racism and how you can have that impact on the circle around you in your family at home, how you can have conversations about what to say and what to do if you witness it, even if you don't experience it, I think that can have a big impact on these major events happening before they happen. Okay, so for you, Takia, it sounds like uh, it was a um, even even a step further than Sebastian is I have to do something rather than evening, even just, just speaking up because it's sunk into you that this is not the only time this has ever happened. Like you said, there is no excuse. And how can people create an excuse for something like this? Coretta, uh, what, what about your response, your reactions to the George Floyd incident? Did it change anything for you? Initially, not really, because it's the unfortunate thing that this happens so much in this country and you kind of build up a sense of numbness to it because it happens so often it doesn't change the fact that you know you're you're in fear of your husband's life or if you have a son 
or any male that's in this community, in the black community, you have a fear. It's, a, it's an underlying fear sometimes. Sometimes it's more on the surface, depending on the climate of the country at the time. For this particular incident, it was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of people because of the fact that, and I still have not watched the video, I refuse to because I've seen things so much like it, so similar to it that I don't need to see that video. But, you know, it, I, don't, I don't think it excuses the, the events that happened after it, you know, the looting, the protests, the peaceful protests as well as the rioting and the looting. However, it does, for me, it shows that people are really getting fed up. They really are. So we've seen a perspective from Takia, Sebastian, and Coretta. And, it's, you know, you're looking at this. Now, for some of you listening, you're thinking, well, but maybe there's another way to look at this. Maybe there's another way. I get that, okay? But here's the exercise today. Listen and look through their eyes, see what they see, because the only way to deal with our own ignorance is to expand our horizons and get more information. So you may say, well, maybe they didn't address this part or that part. No, no worries. Okay, that's not the issue. The issue is, how am I going to listen to what is so deeply important to these particular individuals? This is what we need to focus on. Julie, there's a quote from Viktor Frankl here that I think uh, is important. We know we've quoted this one several times on Christian Questions from Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl, and last week we even asked our listeners to memorize it, <laughs> and it goes like this. Say it with me, everyone. Between stimulus and response, there is a space, and in that space is our power to choose our response, and in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So what we need to do is we need to work on our response to this whole issue and our response to those who, who, who have a different experience with it. And that's really a tremendously important exercise here. So we're talking about ignorance. Jonathan, you mentioned earlier this segment's theme is ignorance. Ignorance is inherent in all of us. But when it comes to a situation like this, like racial tensions, we need to decide that we're going to do something about that. So, Jonathan, let's go to the, um, um, the definitions. There's two words in the, in the New Testament uh, for ignorance. What's the first one? And then we'll go to a scripture, then we'll go to the second. All right. Uh, a private person is the first definition. All right, so in this next scripture that we're going to read, 2 Peter 3, 5, the context is the end of the age mocking about the evil in the world continuing as always. You know, where's God? Where's the return of Jesus? Hey, the world is a mess. Well, yeah, it is a mess, but that's the context, and for, uh, 2 Peter 3, 5, we're dropping in right there. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So it escapes their notice. That's the word for uh, ignorance. It escapes, in other words, a private person. That sounds like an odd definition. In other words, you are seeing life your own little way. And he's saying it escapes their notice that, I don't know, God's the creator of everything. So, so Julie, what do we, what do we draw from this? 
Well, things will escape our notice if we don't step out of our own thinking bubble and look for them. And so we need to be willing to pay attention to things outside of our immediate sight. I think that's what that means. So see through others' eyes. So the world does not escape your notice. So you can undo some of your own personal ignorance. That's what we all must do. Second word in the New Testament for ignorance, Jonathan, is what? Not to know through lack of information or intelligence, by implication, to ignore through disinclination. Okay, so in Acts 17, 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul is preaching to people who are very, very pagan. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. What you worship in ignorance, I proclaim. Do we want to be ignorant regarding things as big as racial tension, or do we want to say, no, I want to rise above that? And things, uh, we all tend to worship, we follow the thinking and the ideology right in front of us. And Paul gave the Athenians an opportunity to know God, and we also can choose to rise above our ignorance. You know, we follow, and oftentimes our following, like it or not, whether you're religious or not, our following resembles worship. And oftentimes worship is unquestioned. And what we're saying is we need to feed what we follow with understanding, with knowledge, not with ignorance. Let's get back to Takia Coretta and Sebastian and develop our conversation a little bit further. What would you, each of the three of you, what would you encourage others who are in a minority to do or not do in relation to the anger and the frustration and the things that people perhaps are feeling? What we're doing now, having a conversation is so powerful. And those who are in minority, you know, I've, I've been to church conventions and I've been to uh, just in my school and those of, you know, the like race will tend to associate with each other instead of, you know, a lot of intermingling, which is unfortunate because there's so many valuable experiences that we can share with all everybody. It takes courage to start these conversations. When we start them and when we talk and we see the value behind every human life, that's honestly what it comes down to is seeing that these are valuable people and they have so much to offer. And just because they have a different color skin, you know, it seems obvious. Of course, they're, you know, they're, they're human, they're equal, but you don't really see it until we, we develop a personal relationship. We understand the struggles that they go through. Okay, so you, you as a white guy, are talking to those in, in, in a minority status and saying, try and have a conversation. Take care, I would ahead. say to feel what you're feeling, be angry about it, because I think that you should be angry about it. It's wrong. Also be sad about it and cry and feel those emotions, because I don't think that we should be insensitive or numb to those things that are going on around us, because then that's when they get pushed to the back of our head and we don't do or say anything about it. And then after you feel those feelings, think about it, think about how you can make an impact and have those conversations. 
I would say start with those close to you um, because they will be willing to listen to you. Having conversations with random people on the internet might not go so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can say from experience that having those conversations with people close to you is hard. For me, it's scary to think that someone close to me that I've grown up with, been friends with my entire life, might have racial tendencies. They might not agree on some of the things that are really, really important to me because I don't want to lose friends over this. And I think we just have to pray about it and pray to say the right things at the right time in these conversations to not let our emotions overwhelm the conversation, to not allow ourselves to attack the person on the other end of the conversation, but to attack the issue itself. And I like the order you put things in. Have a conversation, but make sure you have felt what you need to feel. So in other words, don't bury the reaction. Don't bury the anger or the or, or the sadness. Let it be because it's real and it needs to be recognized. You know, we, we can use some of God's promises to, you know, just give them a little bit of hope, a glimmer of hope that there is something better to come. And, and that's not going to necessarily pacify them. However, the least bit of hope, I should say, that you can give someone is better than nothing at all. Also, being a Black person, you can also identify with what, you know, where their anger is coming from. So you can relate to it. That in and of itself gives them comfort. Rick and Julie, uh, ignorance can, if we let it, be an open door for communication. It can provoke a give and take that leaves both parties with a sense of connection. For give and take to exist, there must be humility on both sides of the issue. Without humility, we will certainly do the giving, but our taking will be for the sole purpose of dismantling rather than receiving. Yeah, we have to be so careful with with our own ignorance, and and we're going to get deeply into communication in a, in a couple of minutes. Julie, did you have anything you wanted to add at this point? Okay, so let's look at some scriptural warnings against ignorance. Just simple scriptural warnings. Proverbs Proverbs is a great place to go to get this kind of information. Proverbs eighteen thirteen. He who gives an answer before he hears. It is folly and shame to him. Okay, you give an answer before you hear. Hmm. And what does that mean? Understand, folks, social media is not hearing truth. It's hearing repeated thoughts. It's hearing the, the, the consciousness of people. Let's understand that oftentimes when we're on social media, we're not hearing truth. We're hearing opinion. We're hearing mix. We're hearing spin. We're hearing a, we're, people's feelings. If we give an opinion before we hear facts, we get ourselves in trouble. Proverbs sixteen thirty two. another warning. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. How many of us are truly slow to anger in this time of such great tension? Don't we all get, kind of get frustrated inside? Ask yourself the question, is my personal ignorance contributing to my anger? And if so, what can I, what should I be doing about it? You know, it's scary to think how common ignorance is and how easily it can keep us uninformed. So let's pay attention. We fight the universal human condition of ignorance. How do we elevate that to fighting prejudice? 
our CQ crew is always giving you podcast extras, like our exclusive weekly newsletter that highlights featured episodes you may not have discovered yet, video content you may not have seen yet, CQ Rewind show notes, extra Bible study questions, and social media highlights, all packed into an easy-to-follow email inbox delivery. Sign up now by texting CQ Rewind to the number 22828. That's CQ Rewind with no spaces. Text to the number 22828. We never sell or give away your information and you can unsubscribe at any time. It's easy. So just send us a text and you'll be subscribed. As we walk through the explosive minefield of racial issues, it's profoundly important to call out those things that are common but often hidden. Prejudice is one of those things. It destabilizes our minds and hides in our hearts, and we generally don't even know it's there. The theme for this segment is prejudice. So we're going to be talking about prejudice in the segment, but not before I tell you something else I'm ignorant about, because I truly, honestly believe ignorance is the basis of everything. We're all ignorant about a lot of things. For instance, Rick... I am ignorant regarding chemistry, and yet I can successfully drink from a plastic water bottle. And and you can laugh about that, but think about it. The chemistry that put that together, I have no idea. So there's lots of life that we're ignorant about. Ignorance is part of our lives. But when it comes to ignorance about how to treat our brother and sister, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, That's an ignorance we should not tolerate. That's an ignorance we should rise above. So, Jonathan, where are we uh, in this segment in terms of territory? Well, we're back on number one, knowledge. And that is, to the best of our ability, we need to have the facts correct. Well, here's a fact. God sees in others what we can't see, and that's the heart. So we don't want to judge another's intentions. And let's take a look at 1 Samuel 16, 7 for that. That's a real good scripture. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Such an important thing. Our road to knowledge began with seeing through another's eyes and continues with attempting to know what that other individual stands for. So follow with us. We're trying to see through somebody else's eyes, and now we're trying to see what it is that they stand for as we are seeing through their eyes. This is what knowledge really, really is in relation to an issue like uh, racial tensions and and, and bigotry and so forth. So let's get back to Takia, Coretta, and Sebastian. Would your encouragement change if you're talking to another dedicated Christian who is also a minority? If you're talking to a a dedicated Christian and they are also a minority, that gives you even more things in common. I think you're even more on the same page, so to speak, because you can see that the issue from both perspectives. They know what the struggle is, but they also know God's plan and they, they understand where all of this fits into his plan. And so there's an opportunity for a lot of conversation and it's probably going to be more agreed upon in that, you know, that conversation rather than with any other group. Okay, so use your common ground. And and that's been a theme in either way. Whatever your common ground is, build on it 
Yeah, I, I definitely, I think there's some something to add from my, from my perspective of being white, having the common ground of Christianity and having the goals that we, we share. Those who are of a different color and are, you know, dedicated Christians are brothers and sisters. You know, we have to start from that common ground. Going back to the conversation, I think it's still incredibly valuable to have a conversation with those minority brothers and sisters that we have, that we hear them out and listen and say, has anything that I have been doing, has my behavior reflected anything that would put a hindrance your Christian walk as easy as possible? Because we can't just pretend that all of a sudden, just because we're of the same faith, that racial issues don't exist. We have to make sure that doesn't infiltrate our hearts, especially as Christians. Okay, so what you're adding from the perspective of a white guy is to talk to somebody who's a minority and say, have I, you, so you're making it personal, you're making yourself vulnerable by saying, have I hindered you in your Christian walk because of things that I may not even be aware of? And that's an important thing. That's, there's a humility in that kind of an approach that can really build a bridge. Thank you for that. Takia, did you have anything you wanted to add here? Just talking to another person of color who's a Christian, I think you can encourage them by saying, you know, we have to experience the same experiences as the rest of the world. And we also have very much encouragement from the scriptures, from the precious promises. We have an opportunity to suffer for the sake of righteousness and to help those in the kingdom to understand, you know, I was there with you, I experienced it, and there's something better. Folks, our common ground should be massive. It should not only be massive, it should be incredibly strong. And when we have differences, if we can continually decide to land on the common ground, even if we may see things a little differently, we can still be brothers and sisters, and we can still move forward. And this idea of common ground is so important because we can think, okay, if we're all Christians, then you know, all of these ignorance and prejudice are put, put aside. Not necessarily. We have to be willing to say, look in the mirror, Rick, and what do you see in regards to your personal ignorance and your personal prejudice uh, regarding these kinds of things? So our prejudice conversation is as follows. Ignorance was the base. Ignorance can be remedied by adding appropriate knowledge. That's relatively simple. But to remedy prejudice, see now to remedy prejudice, it requires additional steps of specifically removing conclusions and emotions that are already there from the driver's seat of our intentions. In other words, you know, we get very comfortable where, where we are. In other words, don't mess with my comfort zone. You know, we like, we like to be protective of that. But really, we need to let that become vulnerable so we can learn and grow through it. I think a lot of this has to do with how many people are very comfortable within their own culture. We like our language, our food, our rituals, our values. And I think what drives some people's prejudices and even bigotry, which we'll get into soon, is the, that love of culture and the fear of the air quote other taking away or watering down that way of life that we love. So the question again is, folks, the question is, what about me? What about my prejudice? Forget what prejudice you might see across the way. I'm not, we're not asking you to look at that. We're asking you to look at ourselves, each and every one of us. And I will tell you, as we prepared for this, 
I've had conversations with both Jonathan and Julie, and every one of us has gone round and round and round with our own minds, questioning all of these things that we've been talking about and are going to continue to talk about. It's about me. And this is how you find a way to deal with racial issues. Jonathan, Proverbs 18, 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a citadel. A brother offended is hard to be won back. We have to be on the alert to make sure that what am I doing that I can change to build bridges? That's the key here. Let's get back to Takia, to Coretta, and to Sebastian. What would you like to say to those who are not of a minority race? And you can do the Christian, non-Christian thing as you see fit with this. Try to put down your defenses because no one likes to be called a racist or to even think that they would have racist tendencies and to have any thoughts of hatred in their heart. No one likes to hear that. And I think the thing for me is I realize that a lot of people don't have ill intentions. It's just been something that was socially acceptable and there was no thoughts of discrimination or hatred or microaggressions in the comments that were made. It just kind of happen like that. So I would say put down your defenses, be open to listening. And, you know, you might come to the conclusion that you haven't done anything wrong and that's perfectly fine, but just think about it first and be true to yourself and listen to others. We have blind spots and we don't always see where we have gone wrong or said anything wrong. So when you say put down your defenses, let me just give you my response. I'm a white guy. And you, so now I can respond to that in one of two ways. Okay, what are you going to blindside me with? Or, okay, how are you going to encourage me? That's one of the things where when, when we have to be really, really cognizant that people just have their own ways of thinking about things. And so when you're talking to somebody who's not a minority, who may be in a position where they really don't understand where you're coming from, it takes great patience to be able to communicate with them. But the idea is to say, hey, let's, let's, let's de-escalate this thing between us and let's start with something that we can commonly work on. Be gentle in your response, in your conversation, and also remember to attack or address the issue rather than the person. And I think that goes a long way because I've been posting on Facebook or reposting on Facebook things that I agree with, can relate to, and I have friends on there that see it. And sometimes I I post it and I'm thinking about them, but if I sent it to them directly, they may be, they may feel attacked. Mm-hmm. But I, I post it and just let it be there. And I've had people come back to me and say, wow, I've said that to you. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it, that that would be offensive. And like, I see it now. That's huge. The idea, first you said be gentle and then focus on the issue, not the person. Those two things together can change the environment of a conversation. And the fact that you may have a good relationship with somebody and the ability to say, hey, look, I know you, that doesn't bother me, but here's a heads up for you. That's a wonderful little piece of education that you can help somebody to understand that. Be aware, just just be aware because we all want the same thing. So our ignorance can be addressed by just listening and, 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 and trying to build. Our prejudice can be addressed by listening and trying to build. 
So getting practical, how do we address ignorance and prejudice in ourselves and how do we begin to approach it in others? There's one word for that, communicate. And that's not easy, but it's really worth it. Now, here's a small excerpt from a very famous book by Stephen Covey called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Person. A highly effective person. Can you see, he said, can you see how limited we are when we try to understand another person on the basis of words alone, especially when we're looking at that person through our own glasses? Can you see how limiting our autobiographical, our autobiographical responses are to a person who is genuinely trying to get us to understand his autobiography? You'll never be able to truly step inside another person to see the world as he sees it until you develop the pure desire, the strength of personal character, and the positive emotional bank account, as well as the empathic listening skills to do it. So communication is key. And we're going to provide with you with seven points of communication in the face of tension. Seven things. We're going to start with three in this segment. Jonathan, the first one is humility. We're going to draw that from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. So really, as Christians, we will not be able to be adequately humble before others unless we are truly humble before God and open with him first. And godly humility subdues ego. Godly humility subdues ego. We need humility before we start on this road. The second point of communication, Jonathan, is what? It is respect for self and respect of others. And that's First, from 1 Peter 5, 7. Right. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I like the idea that respect is a function of trust. Casting our cares upon God teaches us to trust. Trusting God brings trustworthiness, and that brings respect. Godly self-respect enhances our ability to respect others. You've got to have that godly self-respect to be able to be respectful to those around you. So uh, we've got humility, respect for self, and respect for others. The third point is on communication is willingness to listen without a confrontational agenda. Now, listen to what we just said. A willingness to listen without the idea of, I'm going to crush them, I'm going to respond, I'm going to nail their argument now. No, it's willing to listen, willingness to listen without a confrontational agenda. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This next point is important. When we listen with confrontational agenda to someone who deserves respect, are we being devilish, looking for some, someone to devour and defeat uh, we need to listen with the purpose of understanding. I Am I being devilish in my listening, or am I being godly in my listening? See, this is hard to break the tension of all of these things, to deal with racial issues is difficult. I have to go first. That's our point. I have to go first. I may have prejudice. In order for me to identify and deal with my prejudice, I need to get help. And the best place to get it is from those on the other side of an issue. It really, truly is. But I have to be willing to be vulnerable to do that. Proverbs 11.9. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. So we're talking about developing knowledge. 
with my words, I can destroy my neighbor. Look at, look at what's happening in our world. We're doing a lot of destroying of one another, and nobody is taking the time to listen with the intention of hearing. This is one of the great reasons why we have such, such big issues. This is turning out to be even harder than we first thought. So how do we do all of this? One step at a time. We are seeing some daylight in dealing with ignorance and prejudice. How do we deal with bigotry? Are you just getting started in your Bible studying? Or are you a weekly listener looking for more after the podcast? Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on the Bible Study tab to see our concise companion Bible study questions. The whole subject of racial intolerance is deeper and more twisted than we'd like it to be. It is bad enough to have our face to have to face our own ignorance and prejudice. But what about bigotry? Are we willing to look in the mirror to see if we fit the definition? What does it take to confront such a deep character flaw? And this segment is about bigotry. So that's what we're going to focus on, but not until I tell you something else that I'm ignorant about, because ignorance is the basis for everything. And the point of this is to say we're all ignorant. I am ignorant regarding the engineering and mechanics of cars, and yet I drive one every day. So again, something else I don't know about. Do I need to know? No, that's why we pay mechanics. Do we need to know about our ignorance when it comes to dealing with other people? Yes. Some ignorance we have to seek out and, and, and elevate to knowledge. Other, we can just count on others to help us. When it comes to those uh, others that in our lives, wherever they come from, ignorance is not an option. So with knowledge as a basis, we can now begin to grasp the necessity for true understanding. So Jonathan, that's our next territory, right? Yes. Now finally, territory two, understanding. To the best of our ability, we need to assimilate those correct facts. That's described well in Proverbs 17, 27 through 28. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. So the fact is we have to be impartial and this really hit me because otherwise we are sinning against our own brother. And so looking at this, these types of things, racism and, and bigotry and not being impartial, we've got to think of it. This is, a, this is missing the mark. It's not what God wants us to be. So therefore, in that context, we need to work on this. And I think James 2, 8 to 9 is pretty clear on this. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin are, and are convicted by this law as transgressors. Okay, so love your neighbor as yourself. We have to be impartial in our lives. And this is far more easier said than done. Let's get back to Takia, Coretta, and Sebastian. What would you encourage those who are not of a minority race to do or not to do. 
count your blessings. See what life has been like because of the color of your skin. Do your best to imagine what it's like if your skin was just a few shades darker and how drastically different your life might be. And, you know, those questions, they're floating around the internet about um, things you can do safely and, and confidently as a white person that you couldn't do if you were if you were black because it could lead to possibly your death it's really striking to look at those questions and and see how they apply in your life and really it's important to stay humble that's just something that i would say to those who are not of a minority okay and and, you know i really appreciate the phrase count your blessings because what that does to be honest with you is it takes the whole race thing out of the equation and says you as an individual person Look at how your life is blessed and see what you have with those blessings. And then if you are in a place to be able to, to, to discuss with somebody who looks different than you, see what the differences are and say, wow, never thought of that, never realized that. But if you frame it with the idea of counting your blessings, that's an inviting way to address something that's really difficult. I would say to also do research. Um, It's great to ask other people their experiences, but it's also difficult to explain those experiences in a way that others can understand all the time. There's plenty of movies and books and documentaries and even YouTube videos. Some of the stuff on the internet is questionable, but do your research and see what others' experiences have been. All right, good. That's an excellent point. Do your research. And, and I might add, and, and folks, if you've listened to Christian Questions before, I have become fanatical about talking about reading laterally. In other words, when you are reading a, a, uh, a piece on something, you can read what the piece says. And then do your research even further and check the sources and just make sure that you're seeing the biggest picture possible so that you can get to the truth of a matter rather than somebody's interpretation. I will add because of something that Sebastian said about counting your blessings and, you know, recognizing that you do have, you know, an advantage. Use that advantage to educate others that are not a a minority, especially when you see them do something or, or hear them say something that could be, you know, hurtful or offensive. Use that because you have a power that someone of a minority race don't have in that they may listen to you rather than listen to, you know, the minority because they may assume or take the position that the person of the minority that's trying to give them advice on this subject is trying to attack them. But if it's coming from someone more like them, the attack might be removed from their mind and they will accept it more. Don't think that there's nothing that you can do right now because there is. It's scary in a way because it's almost a responsibility added onto your plate to know that you have that power. With great power comes great responsibility, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And that and that's so important. We all do have power within our social group. The question is, what do I do with the power I am blessed with? Let your light so shine before men so that may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, there's so, there's so much here that's so important as we get into this bigotry part of our conversation. And this is really important. One of the things I want to add, though, about the lateral reading is when you're reading, you know, oftentimes we have an idea. We have a, a perspective on something. And where do we go to get information on that? From people who agree with us. 
I would challenge each and every one of us to go to sources from somebody who disagrees with you and say, can you show me the study? Can you show me the sources? And listen to them and read them and understand them. Amazing things can happen when you cross a bridge like that. Let's get into bigotry because bigotry says, I'm not going to do that. All right. Bigotry takes our ignorant conclusions and our prejudicial feelings and thoughts and develops them into distinct patterns of thought, emotion, and action. The remedy for bigotry is a hard and painful road of enlightenment and change. We must remember that when we unjustly demean our brother, we are sinning against God. And, you know, if we're going to learn to undo bigotry, it's kind of like a child learning to tie their shoes. If you've ever watched a child learning to tie their shoes, they are totally focused on every little step. And I got to make the little bunny ear, and then I got to make the other one, and then I have to make this go around. I forget the words. I taught it to our kids long ago. But the point is, you are focused on the steps so you can accomplish it. Undoing bigotry is the same thing. We talked earlier about how many how many people tend to feel more comfortable within their own culture. And sometimes prejudice and bigotry, though, are rooted in fear. We could be ignorant about people and feel that they're a threat that needs to be stopped. And bigotry is directed against those we fear, but we don't really have a reason to fear them. They aren't our real enemies, but yet we see them as the air quote other and pick up a history book and point to any page, there's always been some culture or some race against another. You know, history has attacked the Chinese, the Japanese, Jewish people, Muslims. The list is as long as there are groups of people. And you know, here's an example of bigotry. If you see a Muslim woman in a full length black burqa, is the first word you think of terrorist? And you walk on the other side of the street because that would fall into this definition. See, that's a, that's an, a serious thing to look at. Uh, because what we're doing is we're concluding a whole bunch of things by someone's appearance. And when we look at that now, you know, and we're talking about it, you can say, oh, I would never do such a thing. Oh, really? If we are honest with ourselves, perhaps we're going to see things that are uncomfortable. And, you know, the, the honest assessment can be, here, here's the thing. We can see something and have a reaction, but the reaction doesn't have to be a response. We can, with our own potentially bigoted personality and perspective, we can react, but we can decide, I might feel that way, but I will not follow that particular feeling. Rick and Julie, there is religious bigotry, wars with Catholics versus Protestants, Muslims versus Christians, and definitely in the United States and around the world, there's a great deal of political bigotry, people who are intolerant of people with different political opinions than their own. <laughs> Folks, look around you. Just look around you and realize the kind of world we're in. No wonder we have so much trouble with this. The question is, am I going to be the one who rises above it in my neighborhood, in my house, in my place of worship, in my place of work with my friends? Am I going to be the one who rises above it? Proverbs 28, 21. To show partiality is not good, because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. Partiality never works. One of the best ways to combat bigotry is to stop 
feeding it. Proverbs 26, 20 to 22. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And when there is no whisperer, contentions quiets down. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. It's so tempting to take the whispered words that make you feel like where you are is the best place to be. Put the fire out. Bigotry is hard, bigotry is painful, and bigotry will never bring us to anything of any positive consequence whatsoever. It just doesn't. It can't. It's impossible. The question is, do I want to live there, or would I rather move to a better place that honors God? Back to Takia, Coretta, and Sebastian. How would you suggest to individuals on either side of a, of a racial issue, how would you suggest they bridge the gap of tensions between them? It goes back to um, having conversations and finding common ground. And also in these conversations, try to emphasize the common ground, especially initiating the conversation. Maybe use the sandwich method and say, oh, I agree with you on this. I like how you said this. Here's a thought that you may not have thought of before. And thank you for engaging in the conversation with me. What are your ideas on this? Things like that. Okay, so that Christian approach of wanting to bless, wanting to add to, and recognizing the other individual on the other side for the goodness that they have. I think understanding or having the desire to understand those that are different from you. And again, this isn't just about race. This is about male or female, you know, or any any other group, someone that's different from you. If you have the desire to have a greater understanding of their perspective, it opens the door to release a lot of tension that may exist. So I think, under, you know, just having a, a basic understanding of their perspective is very important. So that implies then that I have to do the work first, <laughs> because if I'm going to understand your perspective, I have to apply myself to really get to know your perspective. The four of us can't solve the issues of the world or of the country, but we can positively affect the people that are around us. We can positively affect those who are listening to this podcast by encouraging all of us to get into the same boat of, I'll go first, I'll take the responsibility, I'll be the one to be vulnerable, I'll be the one to try to build something up and reach out where others may not. And one person at a time, you can make a difference. I mean, I'll, I'll just add that I think you summed it up perfectly. It's, it's about opening your heart, opening your mind, and looking for the understanding of what it's like to, to be someone that isn't you. I want to quote you, Rick. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> you said in a, a previous sermon to use the space between stimulus and response. And I would say in your conversations, use that space to think about what you're saying and think about, is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it loving? And if it's doing all of those things before you press send, then it's glorifying God. The key point is before you press send, <laughs> you know, or before the words come out of your mouth, if it's a conversation, is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it loving? And just pause and consider. So Takiya, of course, is quoting 
our quote about the space between stimulus and response where we've got the power to choose. But I wanted to add one more phrase to consider, and we're going to talk about this more in part two of this podcast. Listen to this question. Do the values we embrace transcend the culture we live in? Our Christian values, our ultimate goal, our individual why, why we follow Christ, these need to transcend everything else, and it needs to transcend this culture. And so bigotry, again, am I bigoted in any way in any part of my life? Folks, this is an important question, and it's not a question that you direct towards somebody else. It's a question that we must direct toward ourselves. Because let's face it, do any of us like the tensions that are happening because of these racial things going on? I don't think anybody likes it. So do something. And where do you start? You start with your own heart and your own mind and and your own honesty and humility before God to say, what can I do? And then when I realize where I need to be, communication becomes the single most powerful tool to take some revelations you may have or some deficiencies you may see and do something about them. So communication in the face of tension, remember seven things. Uh, We started with the first three points in the last segment, continuing now with points four and five. Point four on this communication, this building process, is the willingness to respond for the purpose of verifying. Willingness to respond for the purpose of verifying, 1 Peter 5, 9. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. This next point takes courage. Choosing to respond to someone with whom we are at odds with the real intention to truly verify their position contributes to mutual trust. Well, this is what resisting Satan can look like. It really is. We have to put ourselves in the position to say, I'm going to respond to verify them because I believe in them. You may not agree. That doesn't matter. What we need to do is trust one another. The fifth point of communication, willingness to speak candidly for the sake of presenting your best understanding of truth. You notice how it took to the fifth point before you say something? Everything else was about (laughs) learning to hear, learning to listen, learning to absorb. Now we need to present our best understanding of truth. And that's 1 Peter 5.10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Once we pass through the testing ground of genuine heartfelt listening, our time to respond arrives. Active listening reframes our perspective and actually prepares our mind to compassionately and truthfully answer. This communication model is rare because it focuses on hearing the heart of another. If we're not listening for their heart, then we're not really listening. Uh, just, let's just call it what it is. This kind of communication is incredibly sobering and incredibly helpful and hopeful all at the same time. Ignorance, prejudice, and bigotry are really difficult. What about racism? Is there any hope? We're rolling out new series content this year. Multiple episodes on one topic over consecutive weeks, such as What Do We Do When the Bible Seems to Contradict Itself? Go to ChristianQuestions.com and search for Bible Contradictions to see the full series of episodes and stay tuned for more new episodes and more new series releases at ChristianQuestions.com.
So to be a racist is to live in a small world filled with images of one's own value, which is largely derived from the condemnation of others. Though sad and even pitiful, those who dwell here are not entirely unreachable, but they are generally unavailable. The theme for this segment is racism. Okay, we're going to get down to it here. Racism, it's ugly. But first, another point in which I'm ignorant, because again, ignorance is the basis for everything. I am ignorant regarding the anatomy of how my feet work. And yet, I can stand for Christ and attempt to walk in his footsteps. The point, some things we're ignorant on, and we can trust others to make up for it. Other things, like personal relationships, that ignorance needs to be addressed and put away with knowledge and understanding and then wisdom. So, Jonathan, our second territory is what? Uh, well, before that, I had a question, Rick. Oh, go ahead. There, there are people out there who think a good way to change someone who is a racist is by yelling at them and accusing them. Think that'll work? Well, mm-hmm. how's, how's it going so far? I mean, look, <laughs> take a look at the news. Take a look at all the reporting. That doesn't work. Never has, never will. So now, Rick, we're continuing with Territory 2, Understanding. To the best of our ability, we need to assimilate those correct facts. Well, here's a fact. Once our partiality is descended into hatred, we ourselves descended into darkness. And that's satanic. And that, that's a good point, is in 1 John 2, 9 through 11. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother asides, besides in the light, there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So seeing through the eyes of others knowing what they stand for, asking if I really do love my neighbor. All of these are important pieces that bring us to this particular question. Do I, the hard question, do I live in darkness because I hate or do I dwell in the light of God because I love? Let's be truthful and let's find out about me so I can then learn about you. Let's go back to Takia, Coretta, and Sebastian. Uh, we're going to be talking now about, about colorblindness. And the issue of colorblindness, the idea of colorblindness is to be able to see everyone without seeing them through the eyes of race and color and say, okay, I see everybody the same. That's a, that's a, that's a great way to look at life. However, there are things to consider when doing that. Let's listen. I think the intention behind colorblindness for some people is that I am finding the common ground with you that we're all human and I will treat you like a human. However, from what I've learned, colorblindness takes away from uh, the experiences of people of color because if you don't see their color, then you probably won't think about how their experiences are different and more difficult but it means so much more if you see the color in someone and the value that they have in their uniqueness i think raising your kids to say human is a human and they deserve to be treated like a human is fantastic but there's also the fact that um in history black and people of color have not been treated like a human 
and that's been carried on and you may see that in public and know that that that's wrong this is an interesting question um because l- let me give you my sense of when you when you address the idea of you know want to talk about color blindness to me color blindness is saying i'm going to look at every person as a human being on an equal basis in my mind it includes recognizing that whomever you are whatever your background experience is makes you unique and you do have experiences that i know nothing about and can't even begin to identify with so see to me the idea of colorblindness is a really good thing as long as each individual and their experiences and their heritage is allowed to be exactly what it is colorblindness to me isn't erasing things say okay forget everything else we're just all the same it's no you and i are the same as human beings but your heritage is way different than mine and you can apply that to all kinds of different things that's just my take on the idea of colorblindness i don't know if that's the definition or not but that's the way i've always seen it like you rick i you know the the growing up i thought colorblindness was the goal i thought yeah we i mean let's not let's not look at color we're all just people right that's 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 what the goal is and Ultimately, I think that's true, but there's a lot of complexity to it because you should live your life in terms of daily interactions, I think, as colorblind. You know, you, you, you treat people just like you, they would be if, you know, color didn't exist. However, you can't look at people and erase the fact that they have a struggle that you don't have to deal with. Okay, no good. And I and appreciate that 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 caveat there. Colored blindness is not an excuse to remove issues. For me, the the color blindness factor would work in a perfect world. And unfortunately, we know that this world is not that because you can see everyone as being equal and think that okay, they're equal to me, I'm going to treat them the same, and that that's fine between you and that individual. But you also have to remember that that individual still has to encounter the bigotry, the racism, the prejudice right. in the rest of the world. No, you're right, you're right. And, and so it, we have to be aware of the larger picture while we are living up to a higher standard in our own context of that larger picture. I think um, this is one of those um, phrases or instances that you shouldn't just leave in the air because just as we were having this conversation, that term colorblindness means different things to different people. And if you just say, you know, I'm colorblind, it may be offensive because it may come across as he doesn't see the issues that are going on, the discrimination that's going on in the world. He just sees everyone as equal and there's no unlevel playing field. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's a perfect example of being able to put it on the table so those that you are communicating with just understand exactly where you're coming from no, and, and as we look at that, the way I would approach this is because I believe that colorblindness is a great way to, to, to be. 
And because people understand it differently, if that comes up, that word comes up in a conversation with somebody who's of a, a, a different race, I would explain. And, and here's what I mean by that. And I would just give that quick little explanation that assures that other individual, I see you for everything that you are. And I'm just, to me, we are exactly equal. I respect the fact that your heritage, your background is different. Now let's talk deeply a little bit about racism, okay? Racism, this is ugly, folks. This is just ugly. It can only be remedied from the inside out. You can't yell it out of somebody. You can't force it out of somebody. This does not mean that the condition makes one unreachable, but it does mean that several emotionally protective gates and bars are and purposefully keep connections from being made. People who are racist don't generally want to be reached. Given time, the display of love and kindness to such a one can begin to reveal the flaws in their defenses. doesn't mean you give up on them. It just means you have to chip away with goodness and kindness and God's grace continually over and over. Proverbs 29, 11 to 13. A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. If a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all his ministers become wicked. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Okay, the Lord does give light to everybody. And sometimes we put such a shield over that light, it looks like it's impenetrable. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try, okay? Anger is often an excuse for rash behavior. The problem is, when our eyes are filled with rage and hate, they cannot be filled with the light of God. And when you get somebody in that racist category, it's rage and hate, because the bottom line definition is they see their race as better than another. And there just simply is never a justification for that. Let's go to our final piece of the uh, conversation with Takia, Coretta, and Sebastian. And this is a question, you know, I had lined up questions for them. And this is a question that Takia decided to ask me. So let's listen. I want to bring up another controversial topic for you, Rick. There's a phrase or a hashtag, Black Lives Matter. Yes. And there has been a rebuttal phrase, hashtag, All Lives Matter. Yes. And that is one of those phrases, again, that has to be explained, has to be discussed. And it's it's a, it's a good discussion to have because there are a lot of feelings about that. And there are people who say all lives matter and they have bad intentions. And there are people who say all lives matter and they think Jesus died for all. That is a good thing. That is a positive thing. Let's emphasize that. That is a tough one. Let me, let me give you a Rick perspective on Black Lives Matter. I absolutely appreciate and understand the phrase Black Lives Matter as I absolutely, from my own perspective, appreciate and understand why someone would say all lives matter. When I think all lives matter, I think from the standpoint, just like you said, from the plan of God. The only issue that I have with Black Lives Matter is that the organization Black Lives Matter, I think has, to be blunt, hijacked the phrase. I've looked into what they stand for, and they're for the deconstructing of the nuclear family. And I can't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why would you even begin to do that? And that disturbs me. It's those kinds of things when you start to attach more politically oriented things to a phrase that actually is good as gold. That's where I end up having a problem is when you've got something because you know what? I'll stand up and tell anybody at any time, black lives matter. Let's 
never underestimate that fact. But I don't, don't want to be associated with the organization called by the same phrase. That's my issue because I believe Black Lives Matter. And I'll, again, I'll say it a hundred times. As long as, well, Rick supports Black Lives Matter. No, I don't. I support the fact that Black Lives Matter. And I support it because it's clear that not enough people have a clear enough understanding of why that phrase needs to be said. With the Black Lives Matter phrase, Mm -hmm. I think that just like so many other things, it started out as a good thing. Just like, say, let's just say the internet. The internet was, I believe, created for a very good purpose. And that purpose was to be able to connect us in the world with the rest of the world. It started out as something good, but as it grew, things started to attach to it. Mm -hmm. Bad things. So I agree with what you just said in terms of the phrase Black Lives Matter. Yes, it's a good thing. But the organization may not be because of the attachments that have come along with it. I think I would put a disclaimer to just say that my thoughts and my feelings are mine and they are not affiliated with any political or organizational mission statement, I guess. They're not. They're not affiliated. Yeah, you know, and that and that's an important aspect. And you know, one other point about Black Lives Matter is Black Lives Matter was founded uh, by individuals uh, who are by their own words trained Marxists. And for those of us who don't know what a Marxist is, communism is a system. Okay? We all know what communism is. It's a system that's based on Marxist ideology. We'll let it sit with that. And you know, here's the thing. The little words that surround the phrase Black Lives Matter, or the little words that surround the phrase all lives matter are as important as the phrase because the little words that surround them can become knives or they can become bridges. You decide how you use those words. Let's get back to communication as we wrap this up. Communication in the face of tension, the seven things that are required. We're now on points six and seven. And these points, these last two points, are actually an introduction into part two, which is going to focus on wisdom in dealing with racial tensions. So point six Willingness to embrace another's perspective of truth as valuable. Embrace their perspective of truth as valuable. Romans 14.3. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Well, this is significant. Embracing another's perspective of truth can only happen when you have confidence in the source. To embrace a point of view is to deeply appreciate and respect it. Embracing is accepting, but it's not adopting. Okay, that's important. To embrace is accept. It doesn't necessarily mean you adopt. You may disagree. And our final point, willingness to trust, even though you may not agree. Romans 14, 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And finally, to trust while disagreeing is to say, we are both fallible and have confidence in your stand before God. To trust is to give credibility. It's being able to represent somebody's value to a third party. Okay, so what we're looking at here, folks, is a really important aspect of how all of this works and fits together. Racial tensions exist. They're difficult. They're hard. They're sometimes, they feel impossible. However, 
If we decide to work on ourselves to try to identify whatever ignorance, whatever prejudice, whatever bigotry, and whatever racism we might have, and we decide to reach out and actually communicate with and listen to somebody who's of a different perspective, of a different race, of a different background, and listen with the intention of hearing and understanding and valuing, my friends, then is when we can build a bridge to success in our relationships. Part two is coming. Think about it. Folks, listen, we do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And as we mentioned, coming up next week, How Should Christians Respond to Racism? Part 2. And I might add, if you have a thought on something you'd like us to talk about, let us know now and we'll see if we can work it in to part two. We'll talk to you next week.